Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and talk to the world's most creative people. I'm your host, Sourdough, and I am coming at you from Crew West Studio here in Los Angeles. Thanks again for tuning in. Before we get into this, I just want to shout out to Ricky and Desi Deloro, who from Parlor Social, they've been on the show before, but they created our intro music that uh, you hear at the beginning of the show and they just sound awesome and i'm just so grateful for their talents and their gift to us to create that original intro music dusty sounds amazing and ricky on the keyboards just an amazingly talented duo from the band parlor social so please check them out and i just want to shout out to them for some amazing original music for the show Yeah, so we've got a great show for you today. We're going to introduce you to a new member of the family, a new member of the team, Morgan Lawrence, the editor, our new editor-in-chief for the blog, notrealart.com. And Morgan's been with us off and on for the better part of a couple of years, working primarily as a freelance writer. And then just this year, I brought her on not too long ago as editor-in-chief for the blog because she's doing such an awesome job. And I love working with her and she's so damn smart and talented, and she's an art lover, she shares our values, and she's just one of us. And so I invited her to take on the role of editor-in-chief for the art blog, notrealart.com. So you're going to meet Morgan today and hear us talk about all kinds of things. So stay tuned for that. But before we get into it, I want to tell you about a new event series that we're creating called Smart Talks. And Smart Talks is a monthly educational series one Saturday a month starting in September, September 24th. And we'll do it in October on October 20th. We'll do it again in November on November 12th and again in December on December 10th. And what we're doing for about three hours every Saturday or one Saturday a month, we're going to take on a few hot topics that are really relevant and important for artists and creatives working today. And there's some heady, meaty stuff in here, and we've got some amazing speakers and experts coming. So, for example, in September, we're going to talk about trauma and wellness. And, you know, we've just gone through all this incredible 
traumatic experience with COVID and the pandemic. And so we're going to have a couple doctors come, therapists come and talk to us about who we are now and talk about how artists managed through COVID and how uh, it impacted their creativity. We're going to take on a fun topic, how to launch your first collectible art toy. That's going to be cool. We've got the artist Kano and Ben Goretsky, founder of Decon, coming through. And then we're going to talk about BIPOC artists. And we've got an incredible panel. You know, BIPOC artists are incredibly hot right now in the primary art market, and we love that for them. But, you know, is it a sincere and permanent correction or a cynical opportunism by art dealers? Well, we're going to find out. We're going to talk about that. In October, we're going to talk about arts education. Is it worth the money? We're going to talk about political art. In November, we're going to talk about storytelling, and we're going to talk about digital art and NFTs. In December, we're going to talk about public art, immersive art experiences, and the science of creativity. And so we've just got a lot of amazing topics that we are bringing to you through our new Smart Talks event series. Our list of speakers are incredibly impressive. Dr. Kim Cookson, Dr. Eric Weiss, Badir McCleary, Ben Goretsky, Kano, Lauren Buckman, Brian McCarty, Karen Ferrito, Miles Regis, Jim Taz Evans, Ronnie Pervino, Carmen Zella. I mean, I could go on and on. And so Smart Talks is going to be awesome. It's going to be a very small, intimate thing. We're going to have, there's only 75 seats available each Saturday. Tickets are 75 bucks. So if you want to go to one event, that'll be 75 bucks. If you want to go uh, to all four events, you've got to get four tickets for each event. So go to our website, notrealart.com, click on events. You'll get all the information there. You can click through to buy your tickets. And so we're really excited about Smart Talks, our new event series, monthly educational series. So please come and share with us and learn and grow with us with our new series for Artists and Creative Smart Talks starting in September. September 24th. All right. Now, as I was saying, Morgan Lawrence is awesome. One of a kind human being. I'm so grateful to have her on the team. She is our new editor-in-chief of the notrollart.com art blog. And so I'm just grateful to have her on the team. And I just love chatting with her today on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get into this and hear from the one and only Morgan Lawrence. Morgan Lawrence, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Scott, thank you so much for having me. Woo-hoo! So excited. We're, we're here I, together. I'm so excited to be finally doing this. <laughs> well, I'm excited that we are doing it too. And it's long overdue. And my, how long have we known each other now? Oh, I'm going to say at least two years. Maybe because we, we met two. we met mid pandemic, right? We did meet mid pandemic. I want to say we met in 2020, like during the height of things in the summer or the fall, maybe. Yeah, I think it's going on two years. So let's just we'll, let's call this our, our two year anniversary podcast. <laughs> and we met we met on a dating app, right? Called Upwork. Is that where we met? Yes. Yes. A, a new dating <laughs> app called Upwork. Yes. It's so much better than Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yes. Yeah, well, uh, I, well, I, yes. For those single people out there, I highly recommend using Upwork you know, as a meeting place. <laughs> yeah, no, Upwork is a great meeting place. I've, I've met a lot of people there. Nobody that I've actually been on a date with. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's super cool. So, I mean, how long had you been? I mean, for by the way. For people who don't get the joke and maybe don't know Upwork, Upwork oh, okay. is a freelance work site where independent creatives and independent subject matter experts and professionals can post their credentials, post their experience you know, on Upwork in the hopes of getting freelance gig work or long-term work or maybe full-time work. I don't know to the extent that they do full-time employment, but you as a writer, editor, storyteller had posted your CV and your portfolio and your sort of profile on Upwork. And I was looking for a freelance writer at the time. And I had done some research there and kind of posted a job and your profile popped up. And, you know, here we are two years later. (laughs) It's been it's been quite a ride. Yes, quite a ride. And you're right. I do have, and I think I still do have a profile in Upwork, although I don't, I'm not using it right now. It can be a good tool at certain times. But yeah, for those of you that don't know, there are all kinds of people working on Upwork, you know, writers, translators, designers, even like, you know, assistants and that kind of thing too. But when I was on Upwork, I mostly uh, would take on sort of jobs like you were posting um, in the art sector and that kind of thing. So you can kind of like really niche down on Upwork if you, you know, if you write about, you know, health or if you write about medicine or law or, you know, that sort of thing, you can, you can really niche down, but mine just happened to be art and the humanities. That's right. I was so grateful to find you and find it because, you know, you are kind of a rare exotic animal, (laughs) you know, in that, you know, there aren't a whole lot of writers out there that do write about art and culture. I mean, maybe there are, but I'm guessing there's probably more people that write about, you know, healthcare or what have you. But anyway, I was so grateful because not only, you know, did you have the kind of pedigree and experience that I was hoping to find, you know, but then we connected and of course it was a, it was a match, uh, right? We, uh, you didn't hate me and, yes, uh, I and you're learning right. to hate me. You're learning to hate me, but you know, at least I had you fooled for a little bit. And, I feel like um, to truly hate someone, it just takes years and years of resentment and buildup and that sort of thing. <laughs> so like ask me again in five years and we'll, we'll see. Oh, yeah. Well, that explains about a lot about my marriage now. Thank you. Um, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. This explains a lot. Yeah. So, you know, at that time, right, I mean, we were I was really interested in finding a writer that could help me sort of design and create and produce a kind of a specific column that would help to you know, tell artist stories and humanize artists. And we sort of had this idea for a, you know, props like questionnaire, or is it Proust or props? I can never remember. Uh, Pr- Proust. I think you're Proust, thinking Proust. of That's right. something else. That sounds I'm combining more, Proust with Pabst is what I'm doing. Um, but like this <laughs> okay. blue ribbon and Proust. So you get props anyway, it doesn't matter. But yes, we wanted to design our own little questionnaire that would kind of uh, focus, uh, you know, the questions around being an artist and and the journey and the struggle that is real. And boy, oh boy, you helped me create uh, Q plus arts. And that is, uh, so that was sort of your initial baby. And how many Q plus art columns have we done to date since you and I met back in mid 2020? Over a hundred now for sure. But if I could back up and actually just say that 
The first thing that I wrote for you, I don't know if you remember this actually, but the first thing, the very, very first thing that I wrote for you was a review of this Burning Man documentary, which, so now I know for sure that it's been, you know, it's come full circle because you are on your way to Burning Man again in about three weeks, two weeks. Yes. I'm wearing my tutu now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yes. I I leave on the 24th. I I leave on the 24th. I'll arrive on the playa at camp. So you're leaving on on my birthday. On your birthday, you have well. Yeah. boy, we got to figure out how to celebrate your birthday. You know, my daughter's birthday is August thirtieth, so oh. now I know why I like you. That's well, super she cool. I, yeah. So August thirtieth. Okay. Yeah. She is. How old is she? Uh, she'll be ten. Oh yeah. So I'm gonna be like you know eighteen. So you know like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My birthday. Yeah. That's no. Right. Um, That's I'm right. actually I'm actually going to see Elvis Costello with my sister. So that should be fun. Wow! What a cool birthday celebration that's gonna be. He's playing local. Where is he playing? Yeah, yeah. He's playing at this this venue where I, like a lot. <laughs> I shouldn't say this about him because I. I love Elvis Costello. See, my dad has always been into Elvis Costello. And when I was a kid, he had all of his old records and stuff. And I used to go down there and go through my parents' records and like pick out the ones that I thought were like cool. You know, I mean, there's some questionable stuff in there too. But I mean, (laughs) I could just tell that Elvis Costello was something special, like from his album covers. And so, and we're just, my whole family, just big fans of Elvis. Right on, right on. So anyway, we were talking about Burning Man. So. Well, no, no, no. But I want to, but before we get and we will come back to Burning Man. But wait, so is Elvis playing a small venue, a big venue? Oh, Where is he playing? Actually, I don't know. I've never been there before, but he's playing at this place called The Rose, I think. And it's just, it's a kind of a venue around the Dayton area. Uh, hopefully we'll get into this later too. But for um, people who don't know, I live very proudly in the Midwest in Ohio. Midwest, Midwest. Midwest, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that later, I'm sure. Um, oh, yes. But so I've never been there before, but they've got, they mostly, book like older acts like i'm pretty sure earth wind and fire was just there right on and you know uh bonnie ray i think was there as well so you know they just kind of like old kind of classic stuff so right well no the reason i ask is because quite frankly i would want elvis to perform in a you know ideally if i was going to see him and i haven't seen him unfortunately sadly embarrassingly but uh (laughs) If I did see him, when I see him, I want to see him in a older, smaller, almost theatrical, mm, yeah. former dance hall from the 20s, you know, kind of venue where, you know, you get that sort of patina of history in the venue. And I don't want to see him in a big soulless corporate arena. I know. I Well, I've actually seen him before and he was outside and it rained on us. I mean, it was great. But he, so you haven't seen him before, but he is one of those artists who will just co- keep coming back on the stage and do like six or seven encores, I think. Right, right. So the show just like, it just the kept going. Got to, yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, they, they, but it, I am reminded though in this conversation, the closest I ever got to him, seeing him perform was actually several years ago, many years ago now, I did see him about three tables away in a oh. dive sushi place, delicious dive sushi place here in LA. And he was eating about uh, his sushi with his friend about three tables away. And my wife and I were like, Oh my God, 
It's all of us cuts out. Look, he's eating sushi. <laughs> he's eating sushi. Oh, God. He's, he's just eating, like us. Oh, my God. He's just like us. <laughs> uh, I wonder what kind of sushi he was eating. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, well, that's uh, so cool. Enjoy your birthday. Enjoy that show. I know it's going to yeah, be great. Be and you'll be there as I'm on my way to Burning Man. And, you know, that is funny because I did not remember that I, you writing that Burning Man editorial. Did we ever publish yeah. that? Yeah, we definitely <laughs> published it. Yeah, we we published it. Yeah, no, oh, it was yeah. good. I actually liked watching the documentary because I don't like to say, you know, I'll never do something, but I, I, I kind of doubt that I'll ever make it out to Burning Man. It seems a little, well, I always describe myself as an indoor kid growing up. So, <laughs> yeah, the whole a kind of like trekking trip. around in the festival and like having a pack and that sort of thing. Or I always tell my mom that like, to me, the outdoors is like the area from is like the space from my front door to my car. So oh my god, that's hilarious! Somebody, I didn't make that up. I some I heard some famous person say it once, but I can't remember who. But it's true for me. As so you're well. an indoor cat. You're an I'm indoor an indoor cat. kid. I I like books. Listen, I love nature. Nature is great. The town that I'm from in Ohio is this little little village. It's it's actually called a village proper called Yellow Springs and it is very famous for its John Bryan State Park and Glen Helen and people come from all over to go hiking there and also to kind of like laugh at the hippies that live there I guess I don't know (laughs) I I always do feel like there's a little bit of a because you know Ohio is so you know red most Mm -hmm. in most of the parts or where it's in a southern Ohio to the west so a little bit to the west so you know, there is that sort of feeling sometimes where it's like, you know, people will come in and, you know, you just feel like you're being stared at you know, or something. Well, but you know what? I think if I remember, and I could be wrong, but if I remember, Ohio sort of has the distinct honor of producing more U.S. presidents and more U.S. astronauts than any yes. state in the union. Yes. I have no idea why. Yeah, I have no idea why. I think that's pretty cool, though. The astronaut thing. I think that's yeah, pretty it cool. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. And, you know, like this is, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm a Midwest boy myself, as you know, Indiana boy, yes. as you know. So we're neighbors, Indiana, Ohio, shout out Midwest. And there is a, you know, we're very proud, right, people. We have a certain kind of core set of salt of the earth values and work ethics and, and what have you. Some might, Some people might pin us as, you know, conservative, but many actually, I would say that, you know, one of the cool things about Midwesterners is that they're incredibly realistic. (laughs) You know, I love that about us. And in fact, it wasn't until I moved to LA in 2001 that I ever, and I told somebody I was, cause uh, you know, I grew up outside Chicago basically, but the Indiana side. And I told somebody upon moving to LA, I was from Chicago and this person then promptly said, Oh, the flyover city. And I said, excuse me. And I'd never heard that before, you know, and he goes, well, yeah, you fly over from Chicago when you when you're going from L.A. to New York. And I said, you know what? Keep flying over. Just keep flying over, you fucking asshole. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and that's and that's the and I think that's the difference, right? Because coastal, so-called coastal elites, don't think about the flyover states very much. And uh, there true. is uh, so many amazing, wonderful people, and so many wonderful, you know, things to do, and and so on and so forth. But yeah, no, I'm in full agreement. Mostly, I think about the Midwest. I I think it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I love the Midwest. Blah blah. blah. I think. 
my Instagram bio just says Midwestern Hobgoblin on it. <laughs> so I love the Midwest. I feel like there's just like a, just a weirdness here. This sort of like underlying weirdness, you know, under the normalcy of it. It's like that kind of vibe, you know? And I mean, I've met so many weird people around this area, but then at the same time, it's sort of like, why do I live here? You know, sometimes. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, I think everybody sort of looks around sometimes no matter where, where they live and it's like, okay, wait a minute, time for a change. I feel like everyone in LA must think that at some point or another, well, anytime you're trying to get anywhere in your car, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, fuck, I'm stuck on the 405 again. And uh, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. But part of the thing that I really like about the Midwest is it, it almost seems, or at least where I am, it seems a little bit more grassroots than other places. And you really have to kind of dig to find stuff, which I think is good sometimes Things are a little bit like underground. You kind of have to be in the know, which almost forces you to kind of like go out there and like find that stuff. Otherwise, you're not it's not just going to be hanging around on a, you know, on a website or, you know, it's it's not just going to pop up suddenly on the street or it's not, you know, you're going to have to know somebody for this kind of thing. Like you're going to have to be paying attention. And, but that, that does work to establish, you know, connections that you might not have made in another way. And I mean, I really think that, you know, for the people are always talking about like LA, New York, you know, the coastal elites, I guess, like you said, and but there's so much amazing art and there's so many creative people, so many weirdly, weirdly creative people that live in this part of the country. hundred percent. And you and I share that point of view and we share a love for those creatives and artists. And so much of the work that we do together now with Not Real Art is meant to help, if not now, soon and over time, shine a light on those artists that often do get overlooked in the Midwest perhaps. And because at the end of the day, we don't give a shit where you live. It's just, you know, we just want to, if your art is cool, your art is cool. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that. And yeah, no, I mean, we even, we cover a lot of international artists as well. Not, you know, just here in the States. Right, right. Well, so bouncing around here a little bit, I mean, you, so we started working together, you did the documentary or the uh, kind of the review of the right. Burning Man doc. And then we sort of, we had been talking about like creating this Q plus art column as a way of sort of, you know, giving a platform to some of these artists that we interview and a Q plus artists basically comprise of 10 or 12 questions. I forget now how many we have, but, but I mean, you were saying a minute ago, we've done over a hundred Q plus art columns. Now we've featured and showcased over 100 artists from God knows where. Yeah. Well, over. and not only just those, I mean, we have other you know, we do have other, you know, content that we are publishing, uh, you know, other than, you know, strictly the interviews. So, I mean, it's probably closer to 200, maybe at this point. I'm not sure. I, well, it might you've be, got a bunch in the can that are scheduled. Oh, my know, gosh. I've been and... talking to so many interesting people lately, actually. And I mean, you know, not that we're just in LA and that sort of thing, but I've been pulling a lot of threads, a lot of like creative threads in LA recently of, you know, just 
you know, creative partnerships and people that know each other and that sort of thing. And, and the more I talk to the artists there, the more I, you know, run into these people, uh, you know, again and again, they, you know, they just keep coming up, which is great. And then you, you do kind of realize that it is small world out there, yeah, even though it, and it, it, yeah, it's true. And one of the challenges, right, if you're an artist or if you work in the arts is that it is in many ways a small kind of world, but it's a very fractured world, right? Like it's incredibly fragmented and yes. and spread out the diaspora of, of artists, you know, and you can, you know, artists that, that might, you know, live in LA or live in Chicago or live in some community, they know each other. They probably maybe collaborate together, but do artists from, you know, Ohio collaborate with artists in California much? I don't know, but they should. Right. And when it would be nice to figure out how there's more cohesion and more cross links built so that these artists can connect. And you're sort of seeing, I guess, how some of that, how these people connect in some ways as you do your work. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. A collaboration is, you know, tricky, even under the best of circumstances. You know, you really have to find somebody who's like, on your wavelength. And some people don't take to collaborative work like that, you know, and that's fine. But, you know, I do see a lot of artists sort of like collaborating internationally, you know, going over to different countries and, you know, working with artists there. We just had an interview with uh, an LA artist, Isabel Beavers, yesterday, who we're going to be running a feature on this really incredible project that she did uh, in Jordan sort of a ecological project with some of the artists there. So stay tuned for that one. Woohoo. You heard it here, people. Be sure to <laughs> go to notrealart.com, sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss out. It'll be uh, out soon. It'll cool. be out soon. I'm really excited about it. Some of that she works with like projection mapping and that sort of thing. So we've got some really cool visuals from, nice. from that very project. Cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, so, and I mean, the the beauty part of our kind of, you know, collaboration together, you and me over the last, you know, two years, two and a half years, um, thanks to Upwork, shout out Upwork. Woohoo! Are they sponsoring this episode today? I'll never tell. And, you know, and, and the Q plus R went so well. And, you know, as I said, you and I started to work well together and, and somehow, some way I didn't make you hate me too much yet. And we shared such a common vision that now, now you are editor of the Not Real Art blog. How cool is that? Yes. Yeah. Super cool. You know, my dream job. No, I, you know, I love my job. I get to look at art all day. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much anybody, right, that is uh, creative. We, I was talking to someone last night about this, like, you know, when you're creative, when you're an artist, I mean, you just wake up every day, you know, grateful, you know, and lucky because you get to make things and do things and, you know, may not always, you know, uh, pay the bills, but hey, we're, <laughs> we're happy doing what we do, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I won't say that I wake up every single day, just like bursting with sunshine and, you know, what, uh, what? Having, uh, I, I, I don't like birds don't like dress me. Uh, but, but, but yeah, for the most part, like taken broadly, it's really cool. And I think that just being able to kind of help people tell their stories, uh, you know, with visuals and with the words has just been really gratifying. 
to me. We get so many positive messages from the artists that we work with. What do you think we do that's unique and special? What do you think? I mean, why to the extent that we're different or to the extent that we're unique, to the extent that we're doing something that is at all differentiated from the other art blogs, the other art outlets, whether it's, you know, Artnet or Art News or Juxtapose or High Fructose, uh, you know, whatever. Is there anything that we do that's unique or, or differentiated that you you feel makes us special? Yes, I know I do. Uh, we're I mean, we're not the place that you're going to want to come to for like hard hitting news. You know, like art news is is going to be that. And we're also not usually the place for critical reviews and that sort of thing. We're more sort of cheerleaders for the artists. But what I think really makes our editorial stand out is our dedication to the story and not just in terms of, you know, the words that we're writing, but in every way that we're putting these pieces together and considering how the visuals fit with the story and kind of, I mean, this is online, you know, it's not a magazine, like they used to have full magazine spreads and that sort of thing. So we're limited in that way, but, you know, as close to like a full glossy page, you know, spread that like would be in a magazine is, is kind of as close to as I'm trying to get, you know, a really good profile that taps into, you know, the story behind this artist and their work. And so, you know, when I'm writing these, I usually will take into consideration what I, some of the things that I tell artists when, you know, I'm coaching them to talk about their work or write about their work, which is something that I also do. Because let's face it, it's really hard to write about your work because it's so close to you. It's so personal and it can be really difficult to write about your work. And no matter who you are, if you're, you know, a a baker or, you know, anything like that, it, it can be tough. And it can especially get hard with art because, you know, a lot of things with art and especially contemporary art are very, you know, conceptual, they're abstract, they're, you know, these ideas that are sort of like floating around in the ether it's hard to really picture them. And a lot of artists, when they're working, they think very philosophically about their work, you know, which, you know, they should, if if that's their practice, but that always translate, not always, but that can sometimes translate to like really, really stuffy academic type writing. That's sort of like, you know, it's a slog to get through, honestly. And so the goal here with this is just kind of like to take the academia out of it, to take the sort of like pretentiousness out of it, to just, you know, plainly say what this artist does and what the story is. And, you know, so we might leave out things like, you know, if you went to, you know, if you got your B.A., you know, maybe like 20 years ago from this and this school, that's the kind of thing that should go on your CV, you know, like as a professional resource, it's not necessarily the kind of thing that you want to make the first line in your story. You know, I see a lot of artists lead off with, you know, so-and-so was born in this town and 
that's sort of a recipe for, you know, like people are going to stop reading after that first line. Like nobody cares. I'm sorry. Like nobody cares. Like, <laughs> I've already no, fallen that's, asleep, Morgan. That, that, sounds, that sounds really harsh. But the best advice I can give you if you're writing something about yourself, like get to the point. Like the first sentence should be like Scott Power does this, you know, like I'm Scott probably making Power, it sound Scott Power is eating a watermelon. Dot, dot, yeah, dot. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that paints a picture. Whatever it is, like whatever it is, as, you need to give them Scott something immediate. Gets the watermelon seed across the room. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Brainstorming. No, you know, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, you know, I love what you're saying. I so appreciate it. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head and it's, you know, it's sort of a, you know, it sort of, it brings our listeners up to speed, uh, you know, kind of in terms of like so many conversations you and I've had about what we're trying to do here and why we're trying to do it. And, you know, and yeah, you're right. I mean, we're not critics, we're cheerleaders. And, you know, the one thing that I've, you know, worked in the arts my whole career as you have, and, and, you know, in artists are not a monolithic community at all, but one common theme that you do see is that a lot of artists want and need help telling their stories and promoting their work. And so, and we feel like there's enough critics out there. They need more cheerleaders. They need more boosters, right? The artists need more uh, amplification, you know, and the fact that we can help do that for them, for me, is is a, just an honor and a privilege. And, you know, to, for you and I to be able to do it together and for you to be, you know, such a talented, smart good writer that, you know, does tell these stories clearly and easy to read. That's the thing. We're not, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't feel like homework, right? This shouldn't feel like going to the fucking dentist, you know, like, like you read so much art journalism out there and it's like, okay, I just read this article. I have no idea what they said. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's actually, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the phrase, but there's actually a word for it or phrase for it called international art English. I forget who came up with it. It's, you should look this up, but the two, I think two artists came up with it and like wrote up a whole booklet about what it is and like mm -hmm how to spot it international art english mm -hmm. and i mean AKA you can art speak <laughs> right yeah it, it's art speak essentially it's just i think what they did is they just gathered like a whole bunch of art writing from over the years and mm -hmm. then they just kind of saw what sort of phrases and words were popping up and it's just mm -hmm. a, it's just a mess of like long you know ten dollar words and that kind of thing and well, it's hard, too, because I think, you know, we're trained when we're in school, we're kind of trained to like we're just talking right now and it's a pretty casual conversation. Right. But we're trained like when we're writing to, you know, like make ourselves sound like smarter and more important right. and that, that right. sort of thing, which is bad. Like you learn how to do that in school and we're all trained to do that. So I would say that, you know, if you're trying to improve your writing, you should forget everything that you learned in school. Just forget mm. it. Just completely yeah, that's forget really it. the foundation, right? It's the foundation, yeah. you know, to, for, you know, not to go into the metaphor speak, but basically, I mean, if, you know, if you, yeah, you can build any house you want to build, but the foundation's got to be there and, and it's, you know, and it's it maybe below ground, you don't really see it, but that is the kind of the fundamental, right? That is the rules. You learn the rules, you learn the fundamentals. Only so that you can then find eventually your own voice, your own point of view, 
uh, and hopefully as a writer, right, you know, be able to then discover what your voice is and your point of view. And, you know, you may be breaking those rules, but you it got there because you took the time to actually learn the rules to begin with. Oh, well, like academic writing is just different than creative writing. Just the rules are different. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. a lot of times when people try to switch from academic writing to creative writing, it's hard because the rules are so different. And, you know, not many people outside of, you know, people who go into academia are going to need to write a research paper after they get out of school. So at least in my view, when I was going through school, it didn't really feel like you know, much attention was paid to like how to properly, you know, write a creative essay or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Usually they're just teaching you how to write like thesis papers and, and things like right. that. Where'd you go to so, school? High school or? Well, college, high school, college, like talk about talking, like what was your, were you a, a writer in high school? I mean, how, you know, take it back. What's your Oh, journey? okay. Wow. Okay. High school, Morgan. Hmm. So what hospital were you born in, Morgan? What <laughs> time? How long was your mother in labor? <laughs> well, there's actually a funny story about that that I'm not sure I should tell. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Okay. Well, what my mom. My mom, when my mom was in labor with me, she like refused. I mean, she was like bursting, right? It was the summer, super hot. And like, she needs to get to the hospital like yesterday or whatever. But she's like, she refuses to go with my dad until she can like shave her legs. Right? So, oh my God, this is so yeah. classic. No, I know my mom. I love, no, I love my mom. She's so funny. This is amazing. I think my mom would have done the same thing actually. Yeah, I was like, my mom has, she's like, I have to shave my legs first. What are they going to think? I'm like, I'm sure they're not going to think anything <laughs> uh, of it. I'm sure they've seen plenty worse. <laughs> but anyway, so That's I kind amazing. of started, yeah, no, I kind of started out with things. So my mom is actually an art teacher, uh, retired, but she used to take me with her, you know, to make little pots and masks and, you know, all those little projects that she would do with her kids. She's an elementary art school teacher. And so I just kind of got into it that way. And I was always kind of interested in it. And then in high school, I guess I did, I was doing photography in high school because our high school didn't have like a proper arts course really that mm -hmm. you could take. Mm -hmm. So I was, mm -hmm. I was taking photography in high school and I got really into that for a while. And then I, you know, kind of switched to painting. And then when I got into college, I switched to printmaking because I'd never done printmaking before I got to college because, you know, you kind of have to have the equipment tools, the equipment. Yes. Thank you. Yep. And I just, I loved it. Our printmaking department was in the basement, you know, and I would just spend all day down there just, you know, printing. And I, I just, I really love printmaking. And if I was to continue some sort of like art form, it would be, it's usually printmaking and collaging and that kind of thing, printmaking and collaging. But I will say that after I graduated from school, I graduated from CCAD, which is the Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus, Ohio, the capital. I did go to SEIC for a year, uh, which is the art school in Chicago, as you might mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. but did not graduate from SEIC. So after I got out of college, I kind of bummed around for a while, like most of us do when we get out of college. Um, there, to kind of see, 
Right. Been there, done that. And then somewhere along the way, I kind of figured out that like I started writing a lot more in that period. And somewhere along the way that just the writing, even though I'm okay, I'll be honest with you. I never went to school for writing. I don't have a, you know, English degree or a lit degree or anything like that. Yeah. No, I I have a boy. I've got to re- an, we've got to reevaluate everything. I know, now, I know. I have an arts degree. I have an arts <laughs> degree, you know, full disclosure. But I just fell into writing after I got at, well, I was writing a little bit in college too, because our college offered, my school offered, they offered some creative writing classes and they, they actually offered some classes on writing about art. So I think that was kind of how I first got into it. And then, you know, after school, I just kept writing and it sort of, clicked in my brain in a way that art making just never had, which is almost kind of, I'm not, I feel like that sounds sad, but I'm not sad about it because I feel like my background, you know, having gone to art school and interacted with artists and how, you know, having spent my formative years doing that gave me like really gave me that background and it added value to, you know, what I do now, even though what I do now is, you know, somewhat different. And like I said, this just kind of clicked for me in a way that the art making never had. And I think that part of it is because I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I always felt like the best artists that I thought, in my opinion, anyway, were the ones who just, they had this like, had this like kind of unquantifiable attitude that I couldn't kind of pin down at first. But I think after thinking about it for some time, I, I think what it is, is this kind of like fearlessness to mm. just kind of like get it all out. Mm. Mm. You know, the best artists that I always know, they just, they had, or at least to me, it felt like they didn't have as much of a filter. And I've always been more analytical in my thinking, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is why the the editing kind of clicked for me because mm-hmm. You know, editing is so much a, a left brain, right brain process, writing and editing you, that you kind of have to switch back and forth between it. And I felt that when I was making art, I was almost censoring myself too much, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I feel like thinking on this, I mean, the best artists, even, you know, even now, right, let alone like coming up, it's like. They just had a very clear point of view. They knew what they wanted to say, and they just were able to say it. And whether they were saying it through painting or whether they were saying it through dance or whether they were saying it through music or whatever, they just, to your point, they didn't really have that. They didn't overthink it. They didn't have a filter. They just sort of put it out there. And it was just almost like instantaneous. And you're just like, wow, you know, like from the mind you know, from the soul to the mind, to the arm, to the hand, to the feet, whatever, it was just, boom, they were able to show you or or share or personify or produce, you know, with what seemed to be no effort whatsoever. <laughs> and, you know, and here I am, I'm sure it's not you like know, that. wringing my hands over thinking like, oh, fuck, you know, like, what do I want to say here? You know? Yeah, I always felt like just so anxious. I think that was the thing that was really getting to me is that it was making me feel kind of anxious, the just the whole process. And I, I kind of came to the realization that, you know, and I do like making things. I, I still keep, I have many materials and that sort of thing to make collages and, and I still do make things, but 
I guess I found that, you know, when I really looked into it, I had no interest in promoting myself or showing my work, you know, that it just didn't make me happy for whatever reason. I, I can't explain why, but, you know, I do like making things, but, you know, for whatever reason, I, it's just a, it's more of a personal thing, I guess. Yes, that's right. That's right. And yeah, it's like therapy, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, that may change someday. I don't know. It could change. Cause I, I mean, I know there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, they have multiple disciplines, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. writers mm-hmm. and they're artists and they're, you know, this and that. And it's, uh, so, you know, it could change one day, but that's sort of where I am with it right now. Right on, right on. So, but yeah, so you found your, you know, you found your voice, I guess, in writing and it clicked with the way you think and the way your brain works. And so you found a niche for yourself that felt right and good. And so as you started writing, do you remember what your first paid writing gig was and and what you wrote about? I don't remember what my first paid writing gig was, but I know that it didn't pay much. (laughs) That's why you don't remember it. Right. I've definitely written things before that took, I mean, if I were to like break it down hourly, I was probably making like 15 cents an hour or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe not do that. Well, and I mean, you know, it's not like I was relying on it, you know, for bills. Like I, you know, I had something else solid that I was doing at the time. So, you know, when I first started, it was kind of a slog because it was so, new to me and I hadn't gone to school for it. And I was just sort of like breaking in and I didn't know what was what. And back then too, I was definitely feeling the imposter syndrome, like really hard, you know, back then. And I mean, I think that's probably something that never completely leaves you. And it's more something that you just have to tend to once in a while. But back then I remember it feeling very strong, the imposter monster. (laughs) But, you know, you work past it and you get past that that point. But, yeah, I definitely have worked for not very much money before. Well, and that's I mean, listen, right. I mean, that's classic. I mean, you know, paying, you know, the old notion of paying your dues and doing a few uh, pro bono projects or, you know, trying to get that experience that you need and. You know, no, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. It, you know, everybody should be able to make a living wage. But that has just been a classic journey for not just artists, but for so many people looking to break into a field or profession where you sort of have to pay your dues, take your licks, and eventually you get you get a big bigger break or what have you. But you were writing for not a lot of money, but who were you writing for and what were you writing about? I mean, when did you start writing about art and artists? Uh, well, let's see. It and kind of happened. Well, I'm sorry. Wait, what did you say? No, and, and or culture. I mean, arts and culture. Oh, when did you right. start writing? About? Okay. So backing up, uh, this was oh, probably around when I had just like turned 30 and I was still doing like freelance writing and that sort of thing. And I started working how I really broke into it was I, I started working at the Dayton City Paper, DCP for short, which is sadly now no longer in print. It was as, a so, print. as so many local regional papers are. It's such well, a yes. And this was a, a local free paper. Uh, most cities, most big cities have one. What's the free paper in L.A.? It probably has a couple. 
Yeah, well, you know, LA Weekly is free, yeah. and um, you know that's the first one that comes to mind. There are probably a few, right? Others, but. So it was probably you know something like that, but for Dayton, Ohio, which is considerably smaller than LA, just a wee but, bit, just a little, just a little, just a little. So I started working there as the associate editor, basically as an assistant to the editor in chief who was working there at the time, a woman named Amanda D. Shout out Amanda D. Shout out to Amanda D for taking a chance on someone without a writing degree. She's great though. She taught me everything I know. Well, not everything, but a lot. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I actually did learn a lot from that job. Um, just because, you know, we were working like, I don't know. It felt like I was working like 50 or 60 hours every week, like without overtime. You probably were. I probably was because, well, the thing is, like, we didn't do much writing at all while we were even there. Like, all of the writing that I did was off hours, Yeah, you know, and we would always stay after and that sort of thing. And and she was just, I don't even want to call her a perfectionist because I feel like that's just almost part of the job of being the editor-in-chief. But I've just never seen anyone be as thorough with anything as she was with this paper, but anyway, so I was able to learn a lot about being just diligent and the amount of work that goes into, you know, producing a publication. I, I'm I'm still astonished by it, to be honest with you. Yes, yes. Well, in the it's like chasing your tail, too, in some ways, because it never ends. Like, you know, as soon as you get one issue or, you know, printed and off the press and on the street, you're already on to the next one. And it's just 100%. A, it's a, it's a hamster wheel, you know? Yeah. 100%. I remember if I could remember correctly, Monday, I think, was our pub day or publishing day or Tuesday and Tuesday, the paper went out. So anyway, Monday was just like the worst day of the week. It was the longest day. Everyone was in a bad mood. Everyone was running around, you know, just like last minute stuff. So Mondays were always really hectic, but then Tuesday would roll around and, you know, everyone would just be like, it would be like, it never happened. You know, it would just be like very chill and then calm again and, you know, that sort of thing. So it was funny. It was funny. But there was kind of a reliable consistency about it because it was a weekly paper, right? So I knew what was going to happen on each day. Wash, rinse, of the repeat. Week. Exactly, exactly. 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 And you get into a rhythm with it. But, you know, eventually she asked me if I would like take over the arts and culture portion of the newspaper as well. So I tried to you know, make it my responsibility to really beef up our arts coverage and to just, you know, kind of go out and meet people and see what was going on. Like I mentioned, like it can be pretty grassroots, some of the stuff that's happening. I mean, sometimes you'll find it on event calendars and that sort of thing, but other times you kind of just have to know people and know the community and know what's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I wonder all the time, you know, like when I travel, I'll go to a place and I'll be like, I really want to know what's what's going on here. Like, like, I don't want to I don't care maybe about the big sporting event, but I want to know about that local you know, art show that if I go to it, I'm going to meet, you know, the citizens of the community, you know, who, right. And that's, you know, I don't know. I mean, with the loss of all these local and regional papers, like 
the challenge is greater than ever in terms of being able to like make sure that people know what's happening in their backyard and and making sure that we could you know communicate. And by the way, like not to you know bring this around, it's like you know as our editor, so to speak, you know, and as your colleague as publisher, I you know I I'd love for us to you know I think that's like a big opportunity and topic. Like how do we? And I was talking to our mutual friend Jurgen about this even a while back, which is how might we create that event calendar to end all event calendars? Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice, right, to be able to, if you're traveling, punch in the area code or the zip code and then boom, you get, you know, 10 cool events happening in, in that zip code that night that you could go check out, you know, and it must exist out there. I mean, I guess, you know, some would say, well, that's what Google's for. But but yeah, there's just it feels like there's so much. And by the way, if you're an event producer, you know, in a small area or in even in a big area, you know, getting word out is the greatest challenge. And you're competing, you know, because you're competing with with so much, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Well, in L.A., you probably are around here. You're probably not competing with quite as many things. But no, you are, because when I say competing, I don't mean just competing against other events. I mean, competing against every other bit of content because we're drowning in content mm. now. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And, and I think some people are just like checking out. You know what I mean? I think some people are just getting overwhelmed. So I think, you know, some, you know, anybody who knows anything about good, effective communication knows that the trick is with effective communication is delivering the right message in the right way to the right person at the right time. And that is the hardest fucking thing in the world to do. And, you know, and, and it's harder now more than ever because there's so many channels and so many, you know, so much content. And so there's just so much competition for one's mind, one's attention. And so, yeah. So if you're an event producer, whether you're in LA or whether you're in, you know, Piqua, Ohio, it's, you know, making sure the right people know, you know, so that they can come you know, it's stressful. Yeah. Yes. You're right about the, you know, amount of content competing for space in our heads. I struggle with it on a daily basis. Well, and it's so, and how ridiculous of us to be like, you know what, let's just make more content. <laughs> it's like, I know. So we're Aren't we in the content, content. What production are we going to do? Let's make more content. Game? Well, yes. Yeah. We're making more content. Yes. But I do always try to make it as purposeful as I can. Yes. Yes. And you do such a great job. I mean, you know, and the thing about what we do, I hope we do it. I know we aspire to do it is to humanize artists, right? Because, you know, artists are in many ways, oftentimes, I think these mysterious creatures, <laughs> you know, at least to the average person out there, right? Like, 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 ooh, artists, you know, like, <laughs> You know, they seem so mysterious and, you know, mercurial and, and I'm not so sure I should talk to them, you know, or whatever. I don't even know where they live. And, you know, the reality is, of course, right, as we know, is that, you know, artists are people, too. And, you know, and I think that to the extent that we can pull the veil back and shine a light and humanize these mysterious creatures called artists that, you know, ultimately people will start to realize like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Cause you know, we talk about, you know, democratizing art. It's like, oh, you know, that's the buzz phrase, right? Everybody wants to democratize art. Well, sure, let's sure. democratize yeah. artists, you know, like the flip side of that is, you know, if you want to democratize art, you want to make artists more accessible and more human and help people realize like, you know, oh yeah, you know, they're just like me just like me. Yeah, no, I mean, that is what we're really trying to do is kind of humanize. And, and that is essentially what, you know, stories and storytelling 
they're supposed to do. They're supposed to, you know, humanize and make that connection and, you know, bring the people and the story closer to you. And gosh, there are just so many interesting stories. We, we also have another in, interview coming up that I'm really excited about, about a artist working in LA who he does work with like migrant communities, works for undocumented immigrants and artists and, and in that community. And we have a really good interview with him coming up as well. So there, then it's all about the story. And I was talking with him about that as well, like with his art and as well as where he works too, because it's not only his art, but I should probably tell you his name. Julio Salgado is his name. Oh, right on. That's great. Uh, Oh, do you know, do you know Julio? I know. I don't know him personally, but I I know the name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he seems like, you know, a figure in L.A., but with his job and with his work, it seems like he is, you know, really, you know, about telling the story. So we talked a little bit about how storytelling, you know, helps get his message across. And it's just, you know, it's a message that not everyone wants to hear. And so, you know, and not to say that, you know, storytelling is going to conquer everything or, you know, every prejudice or, you know, every evil out there. But it is a tool in our arsenal to use. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are you most excited about? I mean, as editor of the Not Real Art blog and you you earned the title uh, earlier this year. So you're, you know, fairly new on the uh, job and hope you are here for a long, long time. Uh, don't go anywhere, please. You know, what are your visions and dreams for where we take this one, three, five years from now? All right. Well, I'm really excited about the fact that, so fingers crossed, I'm going to say this out loud so we can't go back on it now. Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. Right, right, exactly. So next year, again, fingers crossed, we are going to be starting uh, shows, exhibitions on the site, which I'm really excited about. We've been talking about them for a while, and we're kind of just getting the logistics in place. But I'm super excited for that. And I'm also excited to start working on more resource style features for our readers, for the artists that come to our site. And the next year, we're going to have more resource style articles for, you know, just helping things run smoothly in your business. We've done a couple of those already, but we're going to start hitting them a little bit harder. You know, we did have one on taxes for artists, which is, you know, a very practical thing. So like, I'm looking forward to having a mix of, you know, maybe some practical things that could, you know, actually help people. And then of course, having the more impractical things that are beautiful and fun to read about. Right, right, right. That's all exciting. And I love the idea too, about the exhibitions that are coming up. Of course, that's very exciting. And the, but the resource guide as well. I mean, there's just so much and on kind of on a, on a related note, you just published, a, a, or we just published, and you wrote it and produced it, uh, the gift guide, our first little gift guide. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. So the gift guide is kind of a, a new idea to promote some of the artists that we've been covering over the last months on the blog. I've just started noticing that a lot of the artists that we work with have shops, online shops. It's, it's starting to become more of a thing back back when I was in college and we were making websites, artist websites and that sort of thing. Like nobody had a shop back then. I I didn't do it. The technology didn't exist. Right, right, right. So now things are just 
things are so much different than they used to be. And, you know, you can make a sale off your website, you know, like that, if, you know, the right person sees it. I know also that, you know, original art, and you just had a podcast episode about this, original art can be pricey, or that's, you know, that that's the perception. But there's also a ton of other like affordable ways that you can acquire artwork, you know, even if that means buying a print or, you know, like buying a pack of stickers or, you know, something or, a, you know, a pin or something like that. There's so many more forms of like non-traditional art that artists are making now that, you know, you could that you can buy for, you know, with, you know, without having to empty your whole savings well, artists- account. Yeah. I mean, artists can now be their own gift shops. You know, they can, you know, they can create and have their own gift shop, right. For, for people to buy, like maybe you can't buy that thousand dollar or $5,000 sort of original painting, but you could buy that $100 print or you could buy that $20, you know, t-shirt or, you know, $5 pin or whatever it is. Right. So artists, because of technology, because of all these amazing advancements in the last 10, 15 years, or even less time, five, 10 years, artists can monetize their work in, in new novel ways and sort of parlay and leverage that whole museum gift shop uh, strategy. Yeah, no, I mean, I do that all the time. I'm always seeing works that I'm like, God, I would love to have that, you know? And so I just check to see if there's a print and if there is, you know, then that's like a no brainer. And also like, I have also received lots of prints as gifts and Mm -hmm. I love a print as a gift. I don't know how other people feel, but I love getting prints as gifts. And that was kind of partially the idea behind the gift guide as well. Cause like, you know, if you're going to buy a gift for somebody, maybe don't buy like a wine and cheese basket or something like maybe buy a print. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, agree. get the person well, what they know, know it, it want, is, but yeah, no, I agree. Buy a, and, book, uh, a book. There are so many great books out there. And sadly, like so many artists are putting out books of their work and the books are just not like being bought. You know, I've heard that a lot of times for books to sell, there has to be a, an event connected to them and, and that sort of thing. So like go buy a book, go buy a print. There's lots of great stuff out there. There is, there is. And, you know, these gift guides that you're going to be producing and writing moving forward will help to showcase and and market and promote those artists and their merchandise, you know, because, you know, now, as we've said, more and more artists have a, have merch that helps support their practice, you know. I'm trying to keep it affordable too, you know, but, you know, there's a range in there, you know, you could probably go down as low as $50, but, you know, there might be something there that's a little pricier, you know, that it might be, you know, 300 or something. And that is, you know, a bit pricier, but I like to offer, you know, kind of a range so people have a choice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, the, you know, the resource guide idea, too, you know, that you're going to be developing is really cool because there are so many. It feels like every time you turn around now, there's a new resource for artists, you know, whether it's a technology or an app or a platform or a thing, whatever it is. And to be able to sort of, you know, inform, maybe critique you know, do our little product review, right? I mean, like that hopefully would be relevant and valuable for artists. Yeah, no, I mean, I I hope it is. And, you know, I, when I'm choosing these, I tend to kind of 
go, well, first of all, they are thematic for this last month. We did the theme digital rainbows over dreamland because I had been noticing that we'd have a lot of work with rainbows in them lately. And it's July and it's hot outside. So, you know, it seems like a good time. seems like a good time for sunny work. <laughs> so I was, I was just noticing a, a lot of optimistic, like positive work, like crossing our paths lately. And I thought, you know, there's plenty of time to be sad later, you know, plenty of time oh. to be sad. Well, Halloween I mean, is coming up. <laughs> it is coming up. Well, Halloween is coming up. We'll do something coming up. We'll do something spooky for Halloween. We'll do something spooky for Halloween for sure. We'll do like a Halloween themed gift guide for that month. Well, and as you know, I'd like to do on the podcast, I'd I'd like to do our October promotion of Art World Horror Stories. So for any artist or listener out there that has a story, Art World Horror Story, we all have them, whether it's, you know, the painting that got destroyed in shipping or whether it's the, you know, the gallerist that uh, didn't pay you (laughs) and went out of business or something in between. We always have artists, so many artists have these life lessons, you know, sort of the hard knocks, the school of hard knocks. And uh, we like to call them our world horror stories. So if you have one, let us know, email us or call the uh, hotline, by the way. We, yes, we do have a hotline. What the hell's the number? <laughs> oh, I don't know. What did I do? I always have, oh, here it is. 833-668-7325. Call our hotline, 833-668-7325. Leave us a message. Tell us your art world horror stories that we can share it with the world in October. But yes, we've got, you know, we want to mix it up. We want to do the happy, sunny, shiny stuff. And we want to do the, the sad, dark doom and gloom stuff. And uh, 100%. And I mean, I'm always with the editorial. I'm always trying to kind of balance that as well, because people have a, you know, they're just drawn towards a particular kind of art and, or a particular kind of style and that sort of thing. And for me, you know, I always like it when we get to do the spooky ones because you know, I like scary stuff. I like spooky stuff. You've got that dark side. <laughs> I do. I'm pretty sure that people used to call me Daria in high school. Ah, well, see, that's because you're smart. See, like smart people always have this like dark side and, uh, you know, happy people like me. We're not that bright. So, oh, you're ha- <laughs> you're one of the happy people. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, my old- well- you know, see, it's, I think, no, no, I'm fully aware that uh, I could die at any minute. Like, <laughs> like I could, I could be, I could have a heart attack in the next five minutes and be dead, you know, instantly. So I could be bummed about that or I can just, you know, laugh my way, uh, laugh my way, you know, to the grave. And, you know, I'm, that's, you know, that's my choice. Yeah, by the way, no, for, for sure. For sure. <laughs> by the way, I'm drunk and high right now, so I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, so that, that's uh, you, probably why. I'll, I'll never you, tell. What, I'll never what, tell. What is your attitude like when you're sober? <laughs> when, <laughs> where, oh, my attitude when I'm sober, my attitude is, hey, where's the bar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's, where's, the, where's the whiskey? Where's the wine? Yeah. You know, hey, no, it's the old, you know, listen, some things are too important to take seriously. And I feel like (laughs) life is one of those things. And, you know, and there's so much to be pissed about, so much to be sad about, so much to be dreary about. So, you know what? Fuck it. Let's be happy. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. And, you know, so I try to keep, I try to keep my dark sensibilities at bay on the blog, 
just so it's not, you know, By the way, we may have, we may just have to create a column. We may just have to create a column, you know, dedicated to the dark. Oh, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, I, I mean, maybe we could do that, but okay. So here's another thing, which now I'm going to have to pin myself down to, so I'm going to say it out loud, <laughs> but so I've been working on this for a while, you know, like I have my own personal website that, you know, where I offer my consulting services and writing services and editing services and that sort of thing. But I also have a separate website that I've been working on for a little while, you know, for my own blog. And it is going to be more along those lines, but also very kind of literary. So kind of like hit things from, I guess you could call it like maybe a little bit like dark academia. Have you heard of that before? Only when I was in college and I visited my professor's house, but that was a whole, that's a whole nother uh, story. <laughs> anyway, well, <it's, laughs> go, go, go ahead. No, it's, I, I guess like, technically maybe not. It's like an aesthetic that's trending right now. I don't want to say like it's going to be dark academia, but you know, so think like, you know, like leather and polished wood and old books and candles and dark libraries and cobwebs and, secret, and that sort of thing. passages, so, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, so it's going to have that sort of a vibe to it. There will always be like book recommendations and that sort of thing, of course, because I live in a cave of books, basically. Cave of books. By the cave way, uh, that's a good name for a bookstore. Cave of Cave books. Of books. Well, there's actually a bookstore in Columbus that I used to go to called uh, the Book Loft, and it's like 32 rooms books. It's amazing. 32 rooms. That's awesome. Well, they're not all huge rooms, but it's very like twisty and windy and has, you know, staircases and stuff. And there are probably Mm -hmm, some cats mm -hmm, stuck mm -hmm. in there, hopefully all alive. Yeah, man. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, when, you know, as you think about, you know, there's all this conversation now about, you know, the singularity and the merging of humanity and mankind and biology with technology uh, and so on and so forth. And, you know, believe me, I'm a secular humanist. I'm all about being human. I'm not really down with this idea that I'm going to, you know, merge with robots or something. However, <laughs> I do love if I could just embed a chip or inject into my vein a technology that would help me do do a couple things. I would absolutely, number one, want technology that would help me understand, speak, and read and write every language known to man. That's a good one. Number two, I would want to be able to inject the information of every book ever written, like right now. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, like, like that's it. Like that's all you would need. Right. At least that's all I would, I, all I would want because if Wait, you had all of well, that knowledge, right. But well, okay. But time out though, because uh, well, all right. So when I was younger, when I was a kid, I used to read like really indiscriminately. And I read all the time. Like I was one of those kids who like read in math class and I read you know, under the covers at night and we'd get in trouble, you know, for doing that kind of thing. But I read really indiscriminately. And, you know, so like I'd read, you know, like stuff by Robert Louis Stevenson on the one hand, but then on the other hand, I'd be like reading the babysitter's club, so, which yeah, right. is fine. But like, just because it's in a book, I mean, there are books that aren't published anymore. 
Yeah, everything in moderation, including moderation, you know, like, no, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen, if there's a limit to the data that can be injected, just like any hard drive, of course, I'm going to edit and curate the list of books to make sure that, you know, they're on the, the more, you know, cerebral side, so to speak. But I, I think like worried the, that you'd get radicalized or something. <laughs> well, potentially, but, but but then that's why you need the pop stuff, right? Like that's why you need the brainless sort of, li, you know, li, yeah. lying on the beach. Uh, oh, you can get uh, the murder, beach reads murder too. Mystery, like you know, the Daniel novel. Steele novels and all that yeah, too. Yeah, like you exactly. have those. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. I mean, you know, that's great. Yeah. Those, I mean, those beach reads, they, they have a place. <laughs> Morgan Lawrence, I am so grateful that you are our editor well, we say the editor of the Not Real Art blog, but you're our editor and you're our colleague and you're our friend. And man, we're so lucky to have you. And you're just a, you know, you rock hard, my friend. You rock hard. And well, I am to be here. so glad that we had this. I mean, shit, I'm looking up here. I realize we've been chatting for an hour, almost an hour, 15, and we I could know. just keep rolling. I realize like we could have been two hours. So what I'm learning here is, uh, you know, A, unfortunately, we got to wrap up, but B, we got to do this more often. We just got to have you come back and maybe we, you know, do like a monthly thing or certainly a quarterly thing where you come back and you tell everybody what's happening with you and the blog and. You know. I would love to do that. I would love to be able to talk about some of the artists that we're covering a little bit yes, more. Yes, yes. I mean, if you wanted to talk about them or I could just give like a heads up about what's going on this week, that'd be amazing. That'd be really cool. Yeah, we could figure out how to maybe insert a, a promotional piece. You know, let's hear from Morgan about what's coming up. And then you have your little, you know, it's like, you come on. Hey, everybody. A 30 second, like, it would be like an ad space almost like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I like that. That's, that's good. And that'd be funny if we made it sound like an ad or like a sponsor. Or something. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey listeners, Morgan Lawrence here. And I'm going <laughs> to tell you about our amazing artists coming up this month in okay, September. Or- we're going to have to write something. We're going to have to write something. Yeah, well, we'll come up with something. I'm not (laughs) uh, improvising very well. So we got to sign off. Thank you so much for doing this. It's Friday uh, late afternoon in your hood there. What's going on this weekend? You doing anything fun? Well, this weekend, I this is the weekend I'm actually going to see Elvis Costello. It just kind of happened early. Excellent. Well, that's super fun. Well, enjoy the show. Tell Elvis Elvis hello for us. Oh, I'm sure I'll get to chat with him at, you know, absolutely. Hey, you never know, you know. <laughs> That's the, true. You never know. Things have happened. Yeah. But, uh, sure. well, you have a great show, Morgan Lawrence. Thanks so much for hopping on. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.